good morning. I was excited to see that bumper. I was out of town this past week. It's the first time I've had the opportunity to see it. And I am so excited about this upcoming series. It's going to expand over two years as a, a biblical counselor. Psalm 119 is my favorite chapter in Psalms. And, I, I, and probably the Old Testament, maybe even the entire Bible. Why? Because it speaks It speaks to the importance of having the primacy of God's word as both our source of truth and the primary input to our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, that the Holy Spirit then will settle into our bodies. Spencer talked about depression, anxiety, and and we see that these are things that we indeed can struggle with. But friends, what we find from Psalm 119 is that change is possible. Change is promised. When was it promised? Turn with me to Ezekiel. That's right, we're starting starting our sermon series in Psalms in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, there's this gift that's been foreshadowed. This gift, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will pour within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of of, of flesh. This this heart of stone is going to be removed, and we're going to receive a heart of flesh. He says, and here, this is an important one, and if you are like one who writes in their Bibles, highlight this, underline it. Because this is a gift. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey or observe my ordinances. This gift was foretold, foreshadowed in Ezekiel. And then Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples in John 14 through 16, He keeps bringing up this gift. And it's fascinating if you're one who struggles with not being able to keep God's statutes in your heart. If you're someone who struggles with a life-dominating sin, it can get discouraged. Because Jesus says in John 14, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And sometimes our heart cries out, Lord, I must not love you enough because I'm struggling. But it's amazing that every time in John 14 through 16, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If, if you love me, you will do what I say. If you don't love me, you won't keep my commandments. Every time he mentions obedience, within two to three verses, there's this promise. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. A few verses down, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We see this this foreshadowing and this foretelling of the gift of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel. And then Jesus reminds us that if we love him, the Spirit will help us. And then we see that this gift is received in Acts 2.38. When Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise 
of the gift that we will now receive. And then we see what that gift does in our lives. Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, this idea that the Spirit that's been poured into us, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This reminder that we, if we want to live lives that are pleasing to God, we cannot do it ourselves. We, we prayed, a, we sang a very powerful and dangerous verse earlier when we cried out, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that reality that our hearts might break and we give everything we have for his kingdom, we cannot do that out of our own flesh. We can only do it through his spirit. As we follow him out of our love for him, we must walk in his way. We must walk according to his word. Psalm 1, 11, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates it day and night. He meditates on God's word. And so we begin to understand that to walk in God's way means to not walk in the advice of the wicked, to not walk in the advice of the world. What fills our minds and our hearts? What is it that we meditate on? For those of you who spent that extra hour of sleeplessness last night, what was it that was racing through your mind? What was it that captures your thoughts? Because in Psalm 119, we begin to understand. Psalm 119, if you'll turn with me to Psalms, I'm going to read the first section of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. We see that we open with a beatitude. Remember the beatitudes? How, how, right? What, what, what are some of the beatitudes that we remember? Blessed are those who mourn, poor in spirit. Right? What's that? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied. And here is another beatitude. Blessed are those who walk in the word and seek him. Blessed are those whose way is blameless and walk in the law of the Lord. Blessedness, the state of happiness, the state of contentment. It's one thing that we all desire. Proverbs 8.32, and now sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. 
Jesus in Matthew 5, blessed are the, and we go through each of the Beatitudes to live one's life that is completely counter to the way of the world. Because we know that the way of the world is the way of flesh, and the way of flesh leads to ruin. Blessed are the poor and speak, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for Jesus will find themselves in a state of blessedness. A person who is in a good situation, completely content, deserves to be congratulated. When we said something is blessedness, back in those days they would say, how fortunate you are. The blessedness to be a Diamondbacks fan. The blessing, well, not the Cowboys or Cliff. <laughs> Sorry, Jessica. We understand that blameless are those who walk in the word and seek him. Walking in the word, striving that every thought, every action glorify God. Every word from our mouth, husbands, Every word in our mind, wives. Everything we do with our hands, children, should seek to please and glorify God. And when our way, our conduct, our behavior, our manner of life is in accordance with his word, we are blameless, faultless. We're living in conformity with his goal the perfect expression of the will of God, which is found in the scripture. It is his instruction. Those who live their lives in concert with the teaching of the Lord will find contentment. They will find the opposite of anxiety. They'll find the opposite of depression. They'll find the opposite of drunkenness, lustfulness, impurity. Their tongues will not gossip, but only speak that which is good for building up and gives grace to those who hear. What makes us blameless? What makes us have that comfortness? It's when we are intent, intentionally and consistently walking in the word. The reminder that our salvation, praise be to God, due to his great grace and his great mercy, does not depend on our ability, but our blessedness will, our happiness, where our heart and minds go. What does it mean to walk in the law of God. Well, thankfully, in Psalm 119, we have another 175 verses to answer that question. But we're not going to cover them all today. Or we'll need a new parking lot. Second, happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. Blessed are those who keep his decrees, obey him, follow and practice his testimony. His statements made under an oath, a part of a covenant. Blessed are those that trust his declaration. We seek and keep his decrees. He has declared what is right. And we seek and we ask for his guidance, instruction, in the order that we may obey him. Seek is a verb to look for. But with God as the object, it may mean to pray, to worship, or to serve him because God isn't a lost object. It's not like we're looking for him. He's where he's always been. We're asking for his guidance. We're seeking to hear his word. 
Verse 3 tells us they've done nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. Those that seek God, those that earnestly seek him with their heart, desiring to hear what his voice has to say, those who walk in his ways, they're living lives as God wants them to live. Not perfectly, but intently and faithfully. Their heart does not desire evil because they're walking in their ways. And when we find ourselves overcome by our own sinful heart, and we do find ourselves sinning, our heart immediately is convicted by that spirit, and we repent and seek his ways once again because we desire to please him. Because we, next line, as we strive to be steadfast and diligent. Steadfast and diligent. We can see that when we walk with his spirit, we're following him. As we follow his laws, his commands. And because it's important that we know, friends, hear me when I say this, holiness still matters to God. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy like I am holy. And so we desire to follow God's word. And even though we're walking with the spirit, even though his spirit is living in us, we still struggle, or at least I do. We find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do. We, instead of the things that we want to do. I love Paul's honesty in, verse, in chapter 7 of Romans. Why am I doing the things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Why can't I do the things that I want to do? And then I love how he opens chapter 8. Praise be to God. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Amen? Because God has, in verse 4, have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. God has charged his people to keep his precepts. This is the word that only appears in the Psalms. Precepts. Precepts. Rules of personal conduct. To be carefully obeyed, watchfully kept. If you live in a world that says that God doesn't care what you do in the day-to-day because of what Christ did on the cross, I would say you're sadly mistaken. Holiness still matters to God. It matters to God to the point that even though he desires us to be holy, knowing that we could not keep it, He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to make up for the times that we don't, but also so that we would be restored to him and carry around the Holy Spirit in us, helping us keep his word, helping us follow his precepts. Verse five, Psalm 119, verse five, a cry of my heart daily. If only my ways We're committed to keeping your statutes and not my own selfish desires. Even if my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, even when I think that it's a right and just thing, I can still carry those out sinfully when anything but the will of God and the desire of God and the love of God is my purpose. If I'm trying to glorify myself in anything, anything at all, I'm stumbling. I only wish my life was dedicated to obeying your statutes, the author says here, the authoritative rule. It's almost like a lament. I wish I could do what you have commanded. That's where we get to the third takeaway from this first section. While we fix our eyes 
and our hearts on our faithful God. Verse 6 of Psalm 119, Then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. But the shame is the public shame that an Israelite would be subjected to when they failed to obey the law. And the psalmist is feeling that shame when he fixes his eyes on your commands. And when I reflect on your comments and the way that I have fallen, I feel that public shame. And I'll say public shame is is a trait that we don't experience much these days. That everybody's free to do what they want to do and, and, and free to be them. Which is different than what I call toxic shame, which many of us in the church have been forced to feel at the hands of those who've weaponized the scripture. The shame here is the understanding that I ought to have done better, but didn't. The, the shame here isn't being made, feel, being made felt to feel lower because we didn't meet someone else's expectations. The shame here is knowing in our heart that we have failed to miss the mark due to our own willfulness. And praise be to God that the guilt of our sin was removed by Christ. And friends, I'm here to tell you that the shame can also be removed at the cross. Because, verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgment. Friends, people say when, when in the counseling, when people come in for counseling, when we talk, I usually find one of a few things are going to be true. One is they're going to have an insufficient understanding of the gospel. Or they're going to have an incomplete understanding of a gospel. Or they're going to have an incorrect understanding. Incorrect, insufficient incomplete. And and here in this verse, the psalmist says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous judgments. When we truly understand what Jesus' death on that cross accomplished, our hearts are overjoyed and we no longer feel shame because we understand that he already knows our hearts. And that when we sin, it's part of the sanctification process because of the repentance and the promise of forgiveness. Jesus does not judge us on our sinfulness. He judges us on our hearts. Because that Hebrews tells us the judgment for our sin has already been taken care of at the cross. Which means not only has my sin been taken care of, but my wife's as well. (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes we want to add to Jesus' cross, right, for forgiveness. It's his death plus her making it right with me before I'll give forgiveness. Some of us carry a weight in our heart that Jesus' death plus me getting it right this time is the only way I can receive forgiveness. But that's an incomplete understanding of the gospel. Hebrews tells us that one sacrifice for all time covers the weight of the sin And when we understand that with this upright heart that's been propelled by the Spirit, we praise Jesus' righteous judgment. In fact, we almost delight in the discipline that we receive when we have sinned, when we are living our lives out of his will. Because that discipline makes us stronger. This is what James is talking about when he says rejoice in our trials. This is what Paul is talking about when he says celebrate these moments 
Now, let's not get it wrong. There's going to be times our hearts become heavy and become burdened. Paul tells the Corinthians there was points where he even despaired of death. But then he pauses. He, he despaired of life, excuse me. He despaired of life and was preparing for death. And then it hit him that this was so that he would not rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead. That reminder that no matter what we're going through in this world today, God has conquered it already. And, and so then we end this first section of Psalms with a prayer. I will keep your statutes, never abandon me. He says, I will obey your law. I'll observe your statutes. I will walk in your ways. Oh, God, do not forsake me. Never abandon me. And, and, and we understand that God is faithful, that he never will abandon us. And whenever my heart cries out, don't abandon me, it's this reminder, just like in Psalm 22, that no matter what my mind may tell me, no matter what my eyes may show me, in my heart of hearts I know that he has not forsaken me, that he is not that far away from my groanings. So, so we see in Psalm 119 these first eight verses. It's building this foundation that we'll experience over the next few weeks and then next year as well. That, that the Psalm 119 reminds us in verse 1, the law of the Lord. Verse 2, his testimonies. Verse 3, his ways. Verse 4, your precepts. Verse 5, your statutes. Verse 6, your commandments. Verse 7, your righteous rules. Verse 8, your statutes. Each verse is dedicated to God's word. It's God's law. It wasn't created by men. We need to remind, be reminded that the Bible is God's word to God's people. It's been inspired, breathed out. And friends, we need to understand that whenever the word of God is being attacked, the authority of God is under attack. We cannot allow his authority to waver even when people try to place their feelings, even if they claim that it's been revealed to me by the Spirit, anytime we place our own tuition above the authority of the Scripture, we are entering into dangerous territory. I'm going to paraphrase Pastor Colin a couple weeks ago. He, was like telling, he said, for people who are saying, I'm just waiting for the Word of God to speak to me, he says he already has 66 times. Now, I've been accused of worshiping the Bible in previous uh, churches because I hold to the precepts that are taught in it. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the one who spoke it. I worship God and I treasure his word. For those of us who remember those things that we used to get in the mail called letters, how we would open them up and pour over every word and treasure Every comma. We try to read through every scratch out. What were they trying to say? We strive to live our life about it because we want to please him. We worship him. His thoughts fascinate us because he is holy. I love Jesus. I want to follow him. I, I, I want to know what he taught. 
And what we see in Psalms 119 is it's not about the walk. I mean, it's about the walk. It's not about the talk. It's not about the talk. It's about the walk. What are we doing? What are our feet doing? What are our hands doing? What is our mouth speaking? What are our eyes watching? What are our ears listening to? It isn't about what we claim. And in this week of political ads, it's not about what they claim to do and it's not what others have said that we have done. It's about how we live. When we love the word, we live the word. Now, for those of you who've been wondering what my license plate says, now you know. When we love the word, we live the word. It's more than a religion, Christianity. But friends, I want to caution you that it's also more than just a relationship. I can remember back when I was in youth ministry, that was the big thing, the t-shirt that said, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's more than that. It's a way of life. When we walk according to his precepts, we experience blessedness. We experience happiness. We are fortunate. When you are with Christ, you are to be congratulated no matter what state you find yourself in. Trust me, he will not leave you there. There is no such thing as an incurable disease. For God will remove all diseases one day. That joyful thoughtfulness that we are all terminal and we are also all eternal. Sometimes when we seek happiness, we think our way is better. We'll find happiness or relief in our suffering. Some people turn to chemicals like alcohol. Some, some people turn to pornography. Some people through revenge or gossip. Some of us through food. Yeah. And that's where we seek to find our comfort. That's what I love, comfort ice cream, right? But if I want true happiness, true joy, true state of blessedness, if I want true comfort, I have to walk in the way of the great comforter. Think about this idea of blessedness. The next time someone tells you to have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Do they really know what they're asking? They're saying, have a day in which you walk according to the word. Every time you say, have a blessed day, what you're saying is, have a day in which you walk according to his word. Let that be a reminder to our hearts. That every time someone says, have a blessed day, it's a day to remind me that I need to walk to a higher calling. Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if we could, we'd live our lives without ever sinning again. If you're like me, I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of the shame. Deep down, I want to be holy. But it isn't easy. They put ice cream on sale. I still struggle when I realize that God's holiness covers every aspect of my life, every aspect of my heart, and to violate one Law is to violate them all. We cannot let sin fester in any part. John Owens said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We realize this isn't something that we can do on our own. 
And I think the psalmist realizes that as he finishes this section. I will praise you. I will keep your statutes. Oof, never abandon me. I can't do it on my own. I want to keep them. I want to do your word. Praise be to God that Galatians, 5, or Galatians 2.20, we can see that when we walk with the Spirit, we are following him. As we follow his laws, his commands, we see that holiness still matters to God. And 1 Peter 1.15 is the one who's called you to be holy. Be holy in all your conduct. We are reminded that we have the Spirit. That when we walk with the Spirit, we are still following him. As the worship team comes up. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 5, 9, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, to all who observe his statutes. Christians, we have been called to live our lives according to his word and go out and make disciples. We've been called to multiply. Matthew, 2, 18, uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? We do that in two ways. One, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And two, we teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. We begin to see that connect, grow, serve, and multiply, all contained right there in Matthew 28. And then he says, behold, I am with you always to the end. Christian, that's what we've been called to do. And, and, this, and this morning, I call on you to be blessed. Have a blessed day and walk according to his words. And if you're not a Christian today, Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's this, this reminder that Jesus, the Son of God, lived a sinless life. He was crucified, he was put to death to serve as a one-time propitiation that God would pour his wrath out on his son who had done no, uh, no sin, had done nothing wrong so that his perfect righteousness and justice would be satisfied. The perfect lamb died on a cross for you. And I got some great, that's good news. I got some even better news. Three days later, he arose. Giving us victory, not only over death, but of sin. And, and through this, we find out that because of that perfectedness that we've received through his righteousness, we've been restored into relationship with him. And through that relationship, Peter says, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit will be poured into us. That wicked heart of stone, that dead heart is removed. Friends, you can receive a living heart, a heart that has been warmed by love and will guide you and help you on this journey, this wonderful journey that we're all on called sanctification. I love Coastal Church because we take sanctification seriously and we do it through connecting in worship and the giving of tithes and offering. 
We do it through growing in both small group and spiritual formations. We, we do it by serving and missions and ministries, like our children's ministry, who's still looking for volunteers. You can let them know at the check-in desk if you're interested. And we also do it by multiplying. We do it by expanding our gospel outposts. We, we do it by pouring into others as they pour into us. And we disciple so that our hearts become encouraged, that we stay grounded to the truth. All of this is built on the foundation of the word of God, our source of truth, our, our source of righteousness. Because it's through the scriptures we begin to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let us pray. Eternal, almighty God, we lift your holy name and we praise you. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross restored our rebellious hearts to you. We praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that's been poured into us to sanctify our hearts, to chip away our rough edges, and to smooth us out as we put off the ways of the world and we put on your sanctifying wise ways as we submit our will to you. Our praise is that we would decrease so that you might increase in our lives. God, today we praise you and thank you that your spirit would move men to record for us your words so that we would have a place to turn to in times of confusion. We would have a place to turn to in times of desperation. We'd have a place to turn to when we need inspiration. That your word is able to help us learn your truth to be taught what right is. That your word would convict us to let us see the ways that we're failing because if we truly love you, we want to know when we're not doing right. We, we need your guidance. That your word would help us learn how to walk consistently in your ways. And that your word, word would train us in how to be righteous. Almighty God, today I pray that if there are any that are struggling with this heaviness of heart, that they would come forward and talk and seek prayer from one of our, our, our prayer warriors up front, Heavenly Father. That they would stop to seek and ask for the assistance that their heart needs and to be sanctified and strengthened and encouraged through your word. And Almighty God, if there's any here that have not yet tasted the sweetness that salvation brings to our hearts, that have not understood what your son Jesus Christ means, I pray that you soften their hearts, let them hear these words and let them respond by coming forward or stopping to ask anyone else, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.